Hello and welcome to the Beautiful Game Podcast, your wise middle of the week football discussion show. I'm Alex Woodward, joined this week by Alex Towles. Hello. I'm here. You're here. Doesn't happen very often. It doesn't. It's not been, it's surprising as well because it's not been a great week for, for you, football-wise. I mean, no. Bristol City didn't lose. That's good. That's a start. I did get five points off it on Super Circs. So, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm happy about that. I'm I'm happy I've made it through the week. I survived a heart attack, or nearly having a heart attack, thanks to football, so that's good. <laughs> uh, oh, we'll get yeah. into that we'll game later, later on. And I know how to count to five, so that's also Congratulations. Good. Yeah. So we'll start with our games of the weekend then. I'm guessing we're going to go into both of these games later on, but I'll start. I'm going to go with Mannheim 2, Frankfurt 0 in the DFB Pokal for the very, very, very obvious reason. What's your game of the weekend? I'm going to go with Blackburn 2, Swansea 1, uh, purely because I said in pre-se- I said before the season starts that um, Blackburn don't need to worry about losing Adam Armstrong because Ben Brereton-Diaz will um, is actually pretty good and will step up and fill the gap. Mm. Uh, and uh, he has proved me, in, in one game, he's proved me absolutely correct and therefore the season does not need to continue uh, and <laughs> I am just correct. I think we can call it now Blackburn are going up. Yeah. We uh, uh, say that. <laughs> we will get into no. that game in in a few minutes, mm. but we're going to start. We are going to start with the championship. We're going to start with Bournemouth two, West Brom two. The opening game of the season in the championship. Scott Parker taking on his first game in charge of Bournemouth. Vlerin Ismail taking on his first game in charge of West Brom. I'll be honest. I am so giddy for West Brom this year. It's going to be fantastic. Let's start with the opening goal. Emiliano Marcondes apologising immediately to the Bournemouth fans, obviously part of the Brentford side who beat Bournemouth in the playoff semi-final. He made up for that on 12 minutes. It felt like for the entire game that West Brom just completely put Bournemouth under the cost with every single cross. Bournemouth couldn't cope, that proved in the 33rd minute. Dara O'Shea scoring that one. I do want to talk about the disallowed goal for West Brom. West Brom had a, a second goal in the first half disallowed. Should it should it have stood? I'll be honest, I haven't seen it. Ah. I, 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 I've been quite busy this past week. I've been coming up to York. I've been moving. Yeah. I, I went to London for a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I haven't actually seen uh, this goal. I was going to try and find it. and I, I, I know this would have been very hard, but you could have gone back through all of the notes on our messenger because I did put a very detailed thing up about I say very detailed, like, no, I didn't. I just put up a couple of sentences. But for me, the commentators and the pundits on Sky were going mental about it. They were going, how can the referee disallow this goal? I think sometimes we forget that VAR's not in the championship, but that, for me, is the main reason because... When you look at it from the angle closest to the referee's perspective, you see a push from one of the West Brom players, and then you see the goalkeeper go flying. There's too many bodies in the way to judge what else happened. You see arms extend, and then the keeper go flying. And that, to me, at that point, looked like clear obstruction, clear foul on the keeper. It's only when you look at it from the other angle, from the side angle, that you realise the push actually made very minimal contact with the keeper. And even if it did, he goes flying in the wrong direction anyway. So it's quite clearly not a foul at all. But from the referee's perspective, and he has to make a decision in about 0.5 of a second, it does look like a quite blatant foul. And that's mm. the thing for me. We don't have VAR in the championship. And that 
just looked like a foul from his his view. And the the commentators on the pundits on Sky Sorry were going, I don't get it at all. It's absolutely ridiculous. And yeah, it is when you slow it down or look at it from another angle. But when you look at it at full speed from his angle and you have to make a decision on the first go within a second, it's not ridiculous at all. It it makes far more sense for him to give that. And that's why I think the goal was disallowed. It's unfair, but we don't have the AR. You have to deal with it. Mm. Mm. And, yeah, it's not very often that we get pro-VAR opinions on anything, really. Uh, but here we are. Yay! I'm doing the <laughs> pro-VAR thing again. I always do mm. the pro-VAR thing. Philip Billing gave Bournemouth the lead at the beginning of the second half. Callum Robinson then got West Brom level on 67 minutes. Really bad sort of attempt to play out the back from Bournemouth. West Brom closed them down. Fantastic assist, though, from Alex Mowat. 2-2, the final score. Very fair result. I don't think either side really deserved to, to win the game. Let's talk about these two sides then. Do we have any faith that Bournemouth can be as good as the three teams who came down from the Premier League? Yes. But also, like... Like a half step below at yeah. the minute. Uh, I think after five or so games of the season, maybe ten, we'll have a really strong outlook on whether Bournemouth can yeah. uh, punch to the same level as uh, West Brom and uh, Fulham. But uh, I'm not sure, uh, for based on this game, whether or not we can make many conclusions. Like, I, I think they are definitely... They have the personnel to do it. And they have the manager to do it. Scott Parker's quite good, in my opinion. Um, but like whether or not we can, they can put these things together into a um, in an into an automatic promotion push uh, is remains to be seen. Um, and hmm. well, we'll get onto it in a minute. But um, Sheffield United didn't exactly look great in their opener. That is so fair. if they are going to drop off, maybe Bournemouth are going to step up and be one of the big three. Hmm. Meanwhile, for West Brom, are you as excited as I am for Val Ball at West Brom? Because I am very excited. Um, I'm excited for Val Ball. I'm not sure if I'm excited for Val Ball at West Brom. Um, I don't care for West Brom. <laughs> That's fair. Uh, to be honest, every time they've been in the Championship over the last few years, I've found them as one of the more entertaining sides. Yeah, that's fair enough. I I, I like Valball, especially at Barnsley uh, yeah. last season. It was just, it was very nice and very fun. Uh, I think it'll be interesting to see how it translates onto a team that genuinely is up there in terms of talent. Mm. Um, obviously, Barnsley used it to great effect to punch above their weight uh, in the talent department, beating teams that on paper they really didn't have a chance against. Uh, so taking that philosophy and slapping it on a team that you could make you could argue has oh probably not the best squad in the league but definitely second or third um i, I think it's going to be really interesting to see how it pans out yeah absolutely okay let's move on then blackburn 2 swansea 1 russell martin the new man of the helm at swansea taking over this last week adam armstrong obviously didn't start in this game for blackburn he has now confirmed a move to southampton sam gallagher might be finally stepping up to replace him. At last, he's doing football. He scored the opener in this game. There were quite a lot of defensive errors from Swansea. They're really struggling to adapt to Russell Martin's system, and that led to the second goal. The goalkeeper, Bender, awful, awful decision. 
gave the ball back to Blackburn in the box. He had to foul. I can't remember who it was who he brought down. It might have been Ben Breverton Diaz for the penalty. And Ben Breverton Diaz was the one who scored it. Jamie Patterson getting a somewhat lucky goal on his debut. He only joined the day before starting. Would you, as, as a manager, would you start a player who you've only signed the day before knowing that they're not going to be entirely used to your system? I would if it was Jamie Patterson because Jamie Patterson is God. That is fair. Jamie Patterson is God and we all know this. Yeah, but yeah. So I, I, uh, I that, that's not a very serious answer. Uh, I think <laughs> it does. I, I don't know if you signed him because specifically to fill a gap in your side, and that gap in your side is going to be very prevalent in the game. Then you're going to shove him straight in to plug the gap. Mm. I suppose. Um, I'm just glad to see Jamie Patterson getting uh, getting games. I, I like Jamie Patterson. He yeah. was a bit of a, a cult hero at Bristol City, if you will, mm. or. or or maybe just even a normal hero. He was I quite good for so us. Much like, like he, he leaves with the well wishes of the entire fan base, and we love him good. dearly. That's good. Yeah, Blackburn took the ball off Swansea in of the Swansea defense thirteen times. That seems a lot. That yeah, seems a lot. Uh, they they're really good at pressing, and which is yeah. one of the things that really impresses me about really impresses yeah me about Blackburn. I think for, um, was, for me it was more. Russell Martin's system, them just struggling to adapt to it. I think it'll be fine as as the weeks go on, but Bender's just really, really bad play to give away that penalty was absolutely shocking. How worried should we be about Swansea on a whole this year? Because obviously, um, I should say, after one game, it's a bit too early to overreact because there's yeah. 45 left. But so, I'm, I'm worried. Hmm. Uh, and uh, the the people whose opinion on the championship I requ- respect quite a bit uh, over Me. the Top 20 podcast, <laughs> they are also very worried about Swansea. Yeah. And it's like, I, I was surprised to hear how worried they were about Did Swansea, considering that they were good last season. Uh, and like, 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 they were genuinely good last season, but they've lost mm. the manager... Like, they've lost a, that massive trove of lone players that they really relied on. Uh, and I think it's going to be tough for Russell Martin to bring them round to his way of playing without getting the preseason that yeah. probably would have needed. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see if the players that are left after the uh, exodus at Swansea this summer of lone players and also Andre Ayew, who's quite good, mm. um, have it in them to be a good championship side. Did Wayne Routledge the... retire as well? Pardon? I think Wayne Routledge retired. He might well have done. I I, I can't... Oh no, sorry, Nathan Dyer's retired. Oh yeah. I see that now. I've got Swansea 18th in the championship this year, and judging by how they've started. Again, one game. That might have been mm. optimistic. I still think, like I said, they'll adapt to Martin's system, but I don't think this squad is anywhere near as good as as last year's, and also as a Leeds fan, obviously I went through the 05-06 season where they got to the playoff final, and mm. then the year after were relegated out of the championship. And whilst it's not as extreme as that, I see some of the same signs in this Swansea side. Mm. But, like, it doesn't, like, the argument, well, they got to a playoff final last year doesn't really mean much to me, having seen that. So I, I look at what's happened this summer and I go, oh dear, this isn't going to end well. So yeah, 18 for me. Okay, going on to the next game then, Bristol City 1, Blackpool 1. 
So I did predict this spot on on a certain. Well, I've already mentioned it, Super Six. But how how do you, as a Bristol City fan, feel about this? We're recording this on Wednesday. On Tuesday evening, Bristol City played in the Carabao Cup against Forest Green. Now they drew to all. Do you want to know? Uh, and Bristol City were leading going into the final few minutes, and Forest Rovers uh, scored their equaliser in the 96th minute of the game. Look, Forest Green then went on to win the penalty shootout, knocking Bristol City out. In this game against Blackpool, Blackpool scored their equaliser in the 93rd minute. So what I'm getting from this is that Bristol City are actually my Sunderland side on Football Manager and are completely <laughs> incapable of seeing out Leeds for no reason whatsoever. Not playing Leeds. <laughs> Pain. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, yeah, no, I, I completely get what you're saying. Like, like I was... Like, because Blackpool are a good side, right? Like, we know this. They are. They were good in League One. I, we expect them to be good in the Championship. Uh, and so I was pleasantly surprised to see Bristol City winning at the weekend. Mm. Uh, and then I looked after the game and saw that we drew one all, and I was annoyed. Uh, and then the same, very similar thing happened against Forest Green this weekend, in midweek. Yeah. And I think... If this is a pattern that City keep up, it's a very, very bad sign because a habit that you do not want to have in the championship, particularly if you're stuck in the mires of mid-table already, mm. is the ability to turn wins into draws. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Should yeah. say, Andy Gone. King made his debut for Bristol City. Fantastic assist for Chris Martin, who I believe only got his second goal for Bristol City in this game. So that's a positive. He had loads of chances though afterwards to, to win it. And just didn't. And as as the game went on, particularly after the 80th minute, Blackpool got better and better and better. You just knew what was going to come eventually. Shane Lavery was forming in the 93rd minute. And yeah, bad defending as well, which even better. Yeah. It was their only shot on target in the entire game, which isn't great. But I, I guess I would expect these two sides to finish near each other in the table. And by the way, I'm optimistic on Blackpool. I do think they're staying up. Yeah. So that's good. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think this is a fair result. Yeah, I, I, I don't disagree. I, I think that um, there are lots of encouraging signs. Like, like, we played better than I thought we were going to. Mm. Uh, and if we play this well, like, if, if we play as well as we did for the first 80 minutes of this game, then we should be looking at a pretty solid championship season. The problem is, the final 10 minutes did happen, and we can't play like that. We can't let that yeah, happen. Yeah. Like Turning wins into draws, as I said, is not a habit that you want to become known for over the course of a season. It will lose you lots of points, and uh, that that's that's the main worry for me. And it is a vicious circle as well because other teams then become aware of it and they know to give more energy than final minutes. And as they do that, your team starts to doubt themselves, start to feel weaker, and and it just sort sort of spirals out of control. Talking about things spiraling out of control, Derby, uh, they <laughs> drew one all with Huddersfield, and yeah, the last time by the way Huddersfield won at Derby, Bill Shankly was the manager and Dennis Law was playing, so it's. It's been a while, yeah. and that, that lovely streak continues. Curtis Davis scored the opener for Derby. Jesus Christ. If you think 
you know, we've we've talked about like our teams in the past being being bad at corners. Got nothing on Huddersfield. That was ridiculous. Nabisar got the equaliser. Huddersfield finished the game significantly stronger than Derby. They weren't able to get any um any extra goal. It probably was the correct sort of result. Are both of these sides going down? Quite possibly. Because I'm not optimistic. So <clears throat> I think Huddersfield fans will agree with me. And I think anyone will agree with me in if I say that if you're not able to beat this derby, you should be worried. Yeah. Uh and so it's not a great sign for the start of the season. It's really not. Uh I think we'll get more of an idea next time out, uh mm. if um Huddersfield actually have anything about them. But uh yeah. If you can't beat Derby, I'm not hopeful. I did have Huddersfield 23rd in my preseason predictions as well, for a reason. This being the reason. Yeah, fair but, play. Yeah, they, they, don't, they don't look very promising. I tell you what, though. Derby celebrated beating Salford in the EFL Cup like they'd just won the Champions League. So, that's not, that's not great when your side are really, really, really happy you beat a side two tiers below you in extra time. In Actually, fact, on penalties. I actually, I I disagree. I'll, I'll give that them. They've had one heck of a few months. Okay, like, uh, anything to celebrate is worth celebrating. I that's think. fair. Move on then. And by the way, if you 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 were complaining rightfully about your EFL Cup game or League Cup or Carabao Cup, whatever you want to call it, against Forest Green, Alex Ferguson was in the stands for Peterborough's game against Plymouth. Aside. In the league below them, and they lost 4-0. Oof. It's not been a great start to the season for Peterborough. Luton 3, Peterborough 0. I mean, I'm happy because Luton Luton won. That's yeah. good. But also very unhappy because Peterborough are probably my adopted championship team for the season. And no. Why would you do that to them? Yeah, this is, this is pretty worrying. Um, but then again... Then again, everyone thinks Luton are good. Luton so, are good. Luton should like, be finishing yeah, like, in the top ten. So, I think... Who did Peterborough play next? Peterborough play Derby. Right. If Peterborough do not beat Derby, Peterborough should be worried. Yes. Based on this game, I don't think you can be too worried. Admitted, like, like, because, sure, you might have been awful, or Luton are amazing. There is a non-zero chance that Luton are just one of the best teams in this league this season. Yeah. Lots of people would be unsurprised if that was the case. Including so, me. maybe don't get too carried away with the doom and gloom around Peterborough, because they might have been roundly beaten by a very good side. However, if they lose to Derby, or don't beat Derby, or don't look anywhere near close to beating Derby, then you can be really worried about Peterborough. Okay. So, I'll tell you what I'm not worried about. Fred Onyedema, because he was fantastic in this game. It was bad defending from his cross that Elijah Adebayo scored from. Then Harry Cornick, he was able to profit off a really good Onyedema cross. Then he got the third himself. A, a more bad defending, but who cares? On your dimmer, absolutely having a fantastic game. Easily the best player in the championship this weekend. We do have to talk about the controversial incidents in this game. 
two handballs, one that Peterborough were aggrieved by, one that Luton were aggrieved by. Let's start with the one that Peterborough were aggrieved by. Cross comes in, Cal Naismith seemingly handles the ball. Peterborough appeal for a penalty, it's not given. I get it. I think I probably would have given a penalty, but it's not It's not like that Paul Scholes handball where he just thwacks it. Or, you know, the Luis Suarez one in the, in the World Cup. It's not like that, but it's... I, yeah, I, yeah, I would have given it. I, I probably would have given it, I'm, I'm going to say. Then, so, oh, how, what was, can you describe it for us? His, so ball comes in and I, I can't remember if someone shot it before, but it was heading towards Carl Naismith and his hand just sort of goes up 90, um, 180 degrees and it blocks the ball. Now, you could say that's a natural motion as he tries to move his body out the way or get his body in the way, but... For me, it was the fact that his arm sort of like flips up 180 degrees and that part hits the ball. It's a clear movement towards the ball with his hand. Again, I yeah. think if VAR was in the championship, it would have been given. But like at full speed, it's understandable that the referee wouldn't give it. Yeah. Maybe it's one of them that, you know, slowing it down makes it wor- look worse. But like it is a it is a deliberate move for me. Mm. So then... Luton had the chance to complain at a handball. Mark Beavers easily could have got sent off for his. He sort of like... See, the issue is, I, I watched this on EFL on Quest. Recommend it if you don't watch it. And the camera angle was really sort of bad because, like, the guy operated the camera sort of, like, was still trying to move up to where the action was when the Beavers handball happened. He... He's sliding towards the ground and he seems to sort of like slide the ball away to prevent a clear goal scoring opportunity. Because if he misses this ball, then I think it's Adebayo, sorry, would have ran in one on one with the keeper. And there's no way that that wouldn't have happened if he doesn't handle the ball. So I, I get it, but I don't think it was in, I don't think it was on purpose. That's, that's the problem. It sparks a massive fury between the players. I think Darren Ferguson got booked, Nathan Jones was going insane, uh, quite a few of the players were shouting at each other. It was really mental what happened next. Obviously, in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't really matter. Luton won 3-0, and you'll be surprised to hear that Nathan Jones made no reference to it in his post-game press conference because that could have only brought bad things. But yeah, I again, I, I know this is sitting on the fence, but if the ref had given it... If he'd actually sent Mark Beavers off, I don't think anyone would have really had much right to complain because he clearly stops a goal-scoring opportunity with his hand. However, I'm not exactly going mental as a Luton fan that this isn't given. Especially because they've won 3-0, but I, I just I kind of think it would have been slightly harsh. Anyway, don't worry, Peterborough. I still love you and always will. Preston I also won. like Peterborough, for the record. What? Peterborough fun. I just... Oh, okay. I'm worried. I thought you said I dislike Peterborough, and we nope, were going to get to I a like big argument. I like That's Peterborough. good. That is very good. Preston won Hull 4. I, I didn't see this coming. Declan Rudd, the first person in the English game to have the concussion substitute protocol um, given for him. He had a concussion early on in the game. He went off about 10 minutes later, but because it was due to concussion, Preston was still able to make three more substitutes. So... Bit of history made in Preston. Hmm. We love Preston. Hopefully he's okay. Hopefully he's okay. Obviously Daniel Everson came on in his place. Emil Reese Jacobson gave Preston the lead after eight minutes, whilst uh, whilst Rudd was still on the pitch, but after he had been concussed. 
it, it took 10 minutes for him to sub him off. That was a bit weird. But anyway, after that, completely dominated by Hull City this game. Keen Lewis Potter getting Hull City's first goal in the championship. Yes! We love Keen Lewis Potter. Um, Richie Smallwood, he got a massive deflection for Hull's second goal. Lewis Potter, fantastic cross for Josh McGuinness in the 85th minute to make it 3-0. And then Andy Cannon scoring in the 92nd minute. To, uh, sorry, 3-1. And then Andy Cannon scoring in the 92nd minute to make it 4-1. Hull were fantastic away from home last season. It's going to be vital for them to keep that up this season, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that um, this is... It, while it's a positive sign for Hull, I'm worried for Preston, mm. but we'll get onto that in a minute. Uh, I think this is a really good result for Hull, and it bodes well in terms of how they're going to be to cope with the step up in level. It seems like they are carrying forward their form from League One into the Championship really well, uh, and Keen Lewis Potter uh, is looking amazing. People will probably be hoping that, well, Hull fans at least, will be hoping that he's going to be able to do that for them over the next season, and someone like a Southampton doesn't look and go, yoink, after mm. the basis of this performance. Yeah. And I had Preston finishing 22nd in my championship preview. Are we worried about how they'll do this year? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think... Let, let's just say this performance has done nothing to suggest that your prediction of 22nd was wrong. Yeah, QPR won, Millwall won, two wonderful strikes, uh, giving both sides a point in this game. First of all, from Jed Wallace in the 11th minute, second of all, from Rob Dickey in the 31st minute. I think both of these sides will, will be in the upper half of the table by the end of the year. Millwall could make a playoff push. I think QPR are probably the most improved side in the Championship this year, and if you look at their form from the second half of last season, I, I trust them to gain the playoffs. I'm really excited about what this QPR side can do. Stoke 3, Reading 2. Whew, one exciting game, though. Most of the fun was in, like, three minutes in the first half. So, great cross and great finish from, from Nick Powell for the opening goal. That was on 25 minutes. John Swift equalised about a couple of seconds later after really abhorrent defending from Stoke from the kickoff. It must have been 15 seconds-ish. That was in the 26th minute. Then Jacob Brown scoring in the 28th minute, so immediately after the Reading goal to give Stoke the lead back. That made it 2-1. Liam Moore did get an equaliser in the 60th minute from a John Swift corner. Very well taken, very well headed. And then the winner coming in the 85th minute from substitute debutant Sam Sovich, who of course has joined from Bournemouth recently for somewhere in the region of £2.5 to £5.5 million. We don't know yet, but obviously... Wanted more playing time, he's got that at Stoke, he will get that at Stoke. And a good start to the season for the Potters. Yeah, I, I think this this has the feel of an end-of-season game at the start of the season, <laughs> if you get what I mean. It's like, just all vibes, no defending, wonderful fun. Yeah, and by the way, Mario Vrancic coming to Stoke City this season from Norwich. He was easily the man of the match. I think he came one of three as well. Stoke are looking dangerously promising. I say dangerously because every year Stoke lift our hopes up with how they do in, in the summer and how they do with the squad they've got. You look at them and you go, oh yeah, they're going to do really well when they Stoke. And hopefully that won't happen for them this year. So yeah, for United, nil, Birmingham won. The only goal of the game coming from Maxime Collin in the 19th minute. 
Sheffield United really controlled possession through most of this game. He had 76% possession. I did like how 10 minutes into the second half, Sky had a graphic that said passes, and it was Sheffield United 74, Birmingham 9. So that sort of tells you how this game went, but they just could not finish anything at all. It was dreadful finishing. Not as bad as Scott Hogan's miss towards the end of the game. That was hilarious, but still... There are reasons to be concerned for Sheffield United, but I'm not overly concerned because Slavici Kanovic's sides are notoriously slow starters in the Championship. And yet, by the second half of the season, they'll win 20 or 23 and comfortably waltz into the playoffs or to automatic promotion. Uh, are you are you worried about Sheffield United? Well, yes, but actually no. Um, I'm I'm not positive about this performance. Uh, this is a performance that suggests that they have absolutely no way of finishing chances, uh, which mm. is bad. Uh, you need you need to be able to score goals in order to do well in the championship, believe it or not. Yeah. Um, but again, as I said, to, to a lesser degree than with Luton Peterborough, but still a degree, this might just be that Birmingham are quite good this season. Mm. But like, definitely like, improved. Yeah, I, I, I'm not, I'm not going to say that, like... So, so with Luton-Peterborough, Luton got Luton played Peterborough off the park, and I was like, Peterborough, don't worry, Luton might genuinely be one of the best four or five sides in this league this season. Mm. I don't think Birmingham are anywhere near that yeah, no, good. Yeah, I've got them 14th. Yeah, I, like, they're nowhere near that good, but they might be not actively bad. And sometimes mm. in the championship... You have games where you can't finish your dinner, and then a team that aren't that bad score a goal, uh, and then you lose. Uh, and so I'm not super worried, but at the same time, please learn how to score. Mm. Sheffield, it might just be a hangover United. from their Premier League days where they just couldn't score for Toffee. Yeah, um, that's what it feels like, very much yeah. so. As soon as they get one, that, that forward line should be going. They're far too talented, especially the Brewster, who should mm. absolutely waltz this league. Fulham won, Middlesbrough won, the Marco Silva reign at Fulham, not getting off to the best of starts. Harry Wilson scoring a really good finish in the 29th minute to open the scoring, but then Middlesbrough start to grow into the game. They were probably the better side for most of the second half, despite not having a lot of possession, but with their one shot on target, Mark Bowler got the equaliser, helped by poor defending, but still, good start for Neil Warnock's men. They are suggested by quite a lot of people, a surprising number of people for me, to be real playoff contenders. Uh, what do you think about Middlesbrough? Because I've got them slightly outside of the moment. They've definitely made good additions, but especially Piazza, who I love. But I, I, I think I can name six better sides. Yeah, I think this Middlesbrough side, um, you can draw a lot of parallels to what we said about Cardiff uh, yeah. uh, when they came down from the Premier League. I think their season depends quite on how much Neil Warnock is up for it, and he seems pretty up for it. Oh yeah, like, yeah like absolutely. If, if Neil Warnock's in the ball, on the ball, we know that he can take a decent championship side, which mm. Middlesbrough are, I don't think there's any arguments about that, and turn them into playoff contenders. Uh, and that's what I think a lot of people are expecting him to do with Middlesbrough. Um, but if he's not on it, then they won't be, and they'll be a bit naff, which can happen. Uh, we shall see. He seems to be pretty into it so far, and this performance was um, 
promising, I yeah. think. Like, going blow for blow with a Fulham side that many people expect to win the league uh, is uh, not bad at all. But, yeah, we'll see. According to the Fulhamish podcast, Lewis Beaumorte was booked for Fulham. The last time he was booked for the club was April 18th, 2007. 14 years, 3 months and 22 days ago from or between you know the two. Which must be the longest time between a, a guy getting two yellow cards for the same club. Obviously, Lewis Beaumorte, part of the backroom staff now at, at Fulham. But I just found that really funny. Let's move on. Commentary 2. Nottingham Forest won. Coventry returned to the Rico with a dramatic late win. You love to see it. Lyle Taylor giving Forest the lead. Oh, by the way, it's not the Rico anymore, is it? It's the Coventry Building Society Arena or whatever. Lyle Taylor gave Nottingham Forest the lead before Victor Goyocres got the equaliser of a former St. Pauli player. And their 96th minute, Captain Cal McFadzine getting the winner. Real dramatic style. Absolutely fantastic, obviously great for the fans of Coventry. It's not only to see their side actually playing Coventry, which is nice, but also the fact they got that late winner. Fantastic. Yeah, I just absolutely love it when... Uh, like, like this is... Like, this is a game that really makes you appreciate, even more so than the rest of the championship, like, having the fans back. Like, imagine yeah. being a Coventry fan. Like, being back at the ground for the first time in ages being back at your actual ground for the first time in ages and then watching your captain score a 96th minute winner in the first goal but in the first game back just magic perfect hmm. and also should mention as well Jody Jones came on during this game he's been out for I believe two years with an ACL injury he's had a rotten run of luck over the last few years and to see him be able to come back onto the pitch that must have been absolutely fantastic as well for commentary fans so the very early table in the championship, Hull and Luton in the automatic promotion places, Stoke, Blackburn, Coventry, Birmingham in the playoff places. At the bottom, Peterborough in last. It does remind me of the old chant lead song when they were down there. The championship is upside down, hallelujah. <laughs> so maybe they can sing that. And Preston 23rd, Sheffield United 22nd. Okay, let's move on to the DFB Pokal then. 1860 Munich won Darmstadt won the Friday night game. 1860 Munich won on penalties. Um, I, I do have to mention this, not only because it's a third-tier side beating a second-tier side, so obviously that's interesting, but also because I manage 1860 Munich on Football Manager. And I, I actually started to feel for the club, especially during the penalty shootout. My hands were completely over my face. I was... Breathing heavily, <laughs> and I'm really getting nervous for them. And I, I, I've not had that feeling in in ages. And yeah, really nice to see them go through. Mark Hilaire, the keeper, who is still with me in the Bundesliga on my FM save. Fantastic game for him. Darmstadt really bad at defending for the opening goal. Philip Steinhardt scoring in the 75th minute. Lucas Perfefia, I think is how you say his name. Perfefia, I don't really know. Sort of sorry. Uh, got the equaliser, great, fantastic equaliser coming off the post, nothing Hiller could do, and then of course, going into extra time, Hiller made some fantastic saves, and then he did again make the only save in the penalty shootout to send 1860 through, I loved it, 1860 Munich's penalties as well, they scored all five, and all five of them were perfect, they weren't going to be saved, so well done. To 1860 Munich on making it through to the second round of the DFB Pokal. Greaves fouled to Augsburg for 
Griefswald of the fifth tier took a lead against Augsburg after two minutes. And by the way, I'm going to apologise for forgetting most of these names wrong because I will. Lucas Netchel getting the goal after two minutes. It did I think take. It's probably oh, Gre- Greifswald. Oh, is it Greifswald? Yeah, probably. So told you. <laughs> it did take uh, the, the ground that way at Greifswald. Yeah, mm. was wasn't the ground yeah. was great. The pitch wasn't, and mm. it probably took Augsburg a while to get used to the pitch. But then once they did, Augsburg taking advantage of defend of really poor defending on three goals for them. Uh, Wind Windfair, uh, Niederlechner and Jensen scoring for Augsburg to make it three one. Then. They um, Greifswald got a goal back. I'm going to remember how to say it. Mjukanovic scoring to make it 3-2. Horribly handled by Gajkovic in the Augsburg goal. But then the final goal of the game, 4-0. Andre Hahn with a fantastic chip over the keeper. Absolutely fantastic. And yeah, Augsburg went through surviving a, a early scare against Greifswald to progress to the second round of the Cup. Weich 08 and um, 2 Holstein Kiel 4 Fourth tier, Weish held last year's semi-finalist kill to a 0-0 draw going into extra time. That's when the fun merely began. Jan Fieter Arp scoring first from the penalty spot, but then pulled back by Patrick Herman. Poor defending from a throw-in from Kiel. They then went in front just seconds later through Philip Sander. And then Herman, again, fantastic finish in the 110th minute to make it to all. It looked like it was going to go to penalties, but Fabian Rees scored in the 120th minute just... The ball barely crossing the line to make it 3-2. And then Finn Bartle scoring the 122nd minute to make it 4-2. Pain. I was so disappointed because I thought, oh, they're going to take them to penalties. You never know what happens in the penalty shootout. And then I saw, goal! Kiel! They've not had a good start to the season either. So I thought, Jesus Christ, their mentality is going to be completely shot at this point. So they're going to be doomed. But... Yeah, they managed to pull through. Congratulations to them anyway, because, you know, there's nothing, got nothing against Kiel. Fantastic team. Beirut 3, Armenia, Biela fouled 6. That's fourth tier Beirut in a nine-goal thriller against Armenia, Biela fouled. I think we all saw this coming. Jacob Barrett-Lawson giving Armenia, Biela fouled the lead after 11 minutes. Great strike. Go look it up if you can. Just three minutes later, though, Beirut, I think that's how you say it, were level... Ivan Nezovic scoring there. Fabian Close best responded to a deflection in the 28th minute, though, for 2-1 to Armenia Bielefeld. It should have been over at 3-1 Brian Lasme scoring in the 51st minute, but it wasn't. Because a very uncharacteristic error from Stefan Ortega, he actually, you know, screwed up. Weird. Allowed Beirut to get back into the game. Stefan Madova scoring in the 52nd minute. And then it was 3 all. Joachim Nielsen scoring an own goal in the 68th minute. But he did make up for it just five minutes later by getting Armenia Bielefeld's fourth of the game. Then Fabian Kunze scored in the 79th minute to make it 5-3. Really good finish. Passed it straight into the top corner from outside the box. And then Brian Lasme scored in the 85th minute to make it 6-3 and end the game there. Beirut did have a goal disallowed for a very marginal offside as well, so they could have scored a fourth, but Bielefeld's three goals in 12 minutes being the difference between these sides. Armenia Bielefeld go through to the next round of the Cup. Yeah, I don't think it 
This might just be because it's um, first round of the Deutsche Pokal and mm. teams are competing against each other from random tiers in the yeah. German football system. But so many of these games feel so pre-season. Like, mm. Bayreuth 3-6 Armenia Bielefeld. That's so pre-season. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's absolutely fantastic. So many games had, like, more than four goals as well. It was phenomenal. That's why I love the opening round of the Pokal. Osnabrück 2, Werder Bremen 0. Bremen still can't defend corners, which isn't great. Morris Trapp scoring in the 44th minute. They had so much bad luck in this game, it was unreal. They must have hit the post five times. I've never seen that. I've never seen a... T- it, 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 I'm guessing it was like Bright- Brighton. Is this why you support mm. them, by the way? No, I'm <laughs> joking. But they were really unlucky. And um, Osnabrück's keepers, while Kuhn made some fantastic saves, it must be said. But then 2-0 in the 95th minute. Sven Koller hitting it from... About the halfway line, lobbing the keeper was way off his line and scoring to win the game for Osnabrück. Floor is yours on how you feel about this. I wasn't too worried because sometimes you rotate really heavily against um, a team that are are a league below you and uh, get caught out by it. But, like, there wasn't too much rotation. Like, there was some Mm. rotation. It was mild rotation, if you will. Um, Aaron Dinkchi got a start on the right flank um, with uh, Schmidt getting a start through the middle as well. Um, Lucas May on loan from Bayern getting a start too at centre-back. But um, like there are a lot of first-team players here. Eggerstein, Toprak, Jonas Schmidt, Fulkrug, Friedel at left-back. Yeah, li- like fielding that mm. many first-team players and still losing to Osnabrück isn't great. But I think, if anything, it's more a sign of worry about their finishing ability. Obviously, um, recently lost Joshi Sargent to um, Norwich, uh, best of luck, King. Uh, but uh, I, it doesn't give me much hope for their remaining striking options if, yeah. as you say, they had many, many shots and none of them went in the goal. It did just feel like bad luck, though, for the most part, for me. Yeah. And sometimes that happens, so... Hmm. It's not what? like they were hitting them way off target from, like, hmm. two yards out or whatever. They were hitting the post consistently. The keeper made a few fantastic saves. Hmm. On most of the days, Brim probably win this. And bearing in mind the second goal, only goal was in the 95th minute with the keeper way off his line, and it was a wonder strike. So, I'm not overly worried. It's just, it's just bad luck more than anything else. Yeah, and sometimes that happens. And if hmm. anything, to take the positive view... Um, we're probably quite tired, so could yeah. do with not a cup run to have give the players some rest. Bless yeah, them. it's not exactly the worst thing. Mm. Wuppertaler won Bochum 2 after extra time. Got to mention this, not only because a, a fourth-tier side took a Bundesliga side into extra time, but also because Wuppertal, because suspension railway, it's got suspension <laughs> railway. That's so nice. fantastic. Tom I, Scott and also has Wuppertal done a video on is it. Just Vupertal is such a good name. It's such a good name as well. I do kind of want to do them on a on a football manager save if you can get like <laughs> the extended German data pack, so that'd be great. I do also want to do Tasmania Berlin. That'd be also great. But yeah, 
Wuppertal open for scoring the 22nd minute, Samir Savic scoring for them. But then, two broken goals, they equalised for the 53rd minute through Simon Zoller, and then they scored in the 111th minute. They had so many chances to win it in, in normal time, broken, but they didn't take any of them. They did get that goal, though, in the 111th minute through Robert Tesher to prevent the game going to penalties. Kevin Perez-Rodriguez getting sent off, the captain of Wuppertal for a clumsy second yellow but who cares Wuppertal are fantastic I love them I love their city people genuinely go just to ride the suspension railway I mean I would yeah I would actually if you want to find out more about it um, Tom Scott did a video about the, the, the Wuppertal suspension railway as did the Tim Traveller I, li- I like both of them very mm. good videos yes yeah and unfortunately, that's all that Alex tells could actually record. He had to rush off. But don't worry, I'm still here. We're going to finish off this podcast. I'm going to talk about some fantastic games still. So stick around. We're going to start off with Babelsberg 2, Greuther Firth 2. Babelsberg winning 5-4 on penalties. The fourth tier side knocking out the new Bundesliga side in VDFB Pokal. This was so close to being my game of the weekend, but I did decide in the end to just go with a game that we're going to mention straight after this one. In fact, no, not straight after this one, in a bit, though. So, let's talk about this game first. Babelsberg saved a goal when they stopped the ball about an inch from before it crossed the line fully, and that sort of really set the theme for what would come next for Babelsberg. Firth did get a penalty first, though, to open the score. That was Hagota scoring that penalty. It shouldn't have been given, though. There was an offside in the build-up, a quite clear one as well. And, yeah, quite surprised it wasn't spotted by the officials. It is worth pointing that at this stage of the FB Pokal, there is no VAR because all of the games are played at the lower-seeded team's ground. And, of course, that means a lot of games are at 5th, 4th and 3rd tier grounds. And it would be very harsh to ask them to install VAR at their own expense for just one game, potentially. So, yeah, they don't have VAR at this round. I don't think it comes in in the second round either. I think it only comes in in the third round. So, that's why that couldn't be corrected. Unfortunately, it didn't matter in the end, of course. Babelsberg levelled in the 37th minute. Marcel Roche scoring there. He was left all of the space in the box. It was absolutely ridiculous. And then, new Firth signing, Gideon Young, who, of course, has just signed from Hamburg, giving away a free kick that would eventually be bundled over by Marcus Hoffman in the 70th minute. That made it 2-1 to Babelsberg. It looked like Firth were going to rescue this tie. Julian Green scored in the 85th minute from a header. But then the game goes into extra time. It then goes into penalties. Three penalties saved in this game, but two of them were from Babelsberg keeper Marco Flugel. They won 5-4 in the shootout in the end. And yeah, potentially the biggest upset of the round. Obviously... They required penalties to do it, but fourth tier side beating a new Bundesliga side, it was absolutely phenomenal. And that was the first real shock of of this first round of the DFB Pokal. Let's go on to the next game then. Magdeburg 2, St. Pauli 3. I really needed to lie down after that. That was an absolutely, really mental game for St. Pauli. And it is probably the most stressed I've been, or most nervous, or both, watching a football game in a very long time, probably since the 
Leeds Barnsley game of the championship. And of course, all Leeds fans will know what I'm referring to when I say that. Yeah, it was... It was absolutely ridiculous. It started off looking like it was going to be a very comfortable game for St. Paul. The Euro Bergstaller scored in the third minute. They looked really comfortable in the opening 10 minutes. It looked like St. Paul could really run away with victory and finally have a comfortable game in the DFB Pacal. But no. After the 10th minute, the game completely flipped. Magdeburg were by far the better side. And dominated for pretty much the entire game when they equalised in the 35th minute from Sir Lord Conter. Sir Lord, is that his actual first name? Wow, okay. Sorry, I didn't see that before. Sir Lord Conter scored in the 31st minute to make it 1-0. It looked like they were just going to run away, but then... Just a few minutes later, St. Pauli took the lead. Eric Smith playing a fantastic long free kick into the box for Yakov Medic, the new signing to head in to make it 2-1. And then going to half-time, St. Pauli opened the second half with a really strong opening six minutes and then it all went away again. And that feeling of dread came back. Magdeburg, again, clearly by far the better side. They... Were level in the 54th minute again, Sir Conte scoring, and it just looked like they were going to run away with it again. But then Guido Bergstaller, four minutes later, once again giving St. Paulo the lead, a Liat Pacarada free kick hit the post, and it was eventually bundled in by Bergstaller. St. Paulo the best side to respond to that. And then once again, Magdeburg completely dominated. Really, really uncomfortable. But every single time they had a shot, it was either slightly off target or St. Pauli body would get in the way or Dennis March would make a save. And finally, the clock started ticking down. There was way more added time than necessary, at least for my heart. And yeah, just about held on to win St. Pauli 3-2 into the second round of the DFB for Cal. Magdeburg had 45 shots. 45 shots. They lost 3-2. St. Pauli had 11 shots. 13 Magdeburg had 45. And they lost 3-2. Jesus Christ. So, yeah. Obviously not the most convincing performance from St. Pauli. But they were defensively very solid. They were put under the cosh for at least 80 minutes of the, of the 97. In fact, probably 85 minutes. In fact, probably 90 minutes of the 97. But still... They just about held on for the victory, a very well-deserved victory in the end because of how well they defended. Magdeburg, they can take pride in their performance, though this will be a bitter blow because obviously there was that chance to advance to the second round of a Pokal if their finishing was a tad bit better. By the way, keep an eye out for Bal Bal, who played for Magdeburg in this game. He was absolutely phenomenal for them. And, you know, if they'd won, he would have probably been the reason why. I know he didn't score, but still, he was great. And I would like St. Pauli to sign him. And, like, 75% of the reason is how good he is. And 25% of the reason is the fact his name is absolutely perfect, and I love it. But, yeah, St. Pauli just about squeezing through in the first round of the Pokal. They've not been past the second round since the 2005-06 season. So... Fingers crossed, they get a relatively easy opponent. I think pretty much every time they've played a Bundesliga side. So, fingers crossed. Let's go on to the game that I had as my game of the weekend. Let's talk about Waldorf Mannheim 2, Eintracht Frankfurt 0. Oliver Glasner's first game in charge of Frankfurt went uh, horribly. Absolutely horribly. Mannheim were the better side 
for most of the first half. They couldn't quite capitalise, though. So 0-0 at the break. You were sort of worried at that point. You thought, well, you know, they've been so good in this first half. That's not going to last the rest of the game. But then it did. Marcel Seeger scoring three minutes into the second half for Mannheim. Heading in from a corner. And then four minutes after that, Joseph Boyamba perfectly sprung the offside trap and made it 2-0. And at that point, you really started to fear for Frankfurt. I didn't, obviously, I wanted to be upset. No offence to Frankfurt, of course. And it did manage to go from bad to worse for Frankfurt as well, because Martin Hinteregger sent off for his second yellow card. It was quite a clumsy second yellow as well. The game was over at that point. There was a shot of the Frankfurt bench and Oliver Glasner and his assistants, and they just looked like they didn't have a clue. They were like, we're out of ideas now. And yeah, Mannheim held on. For a really comfortable victory. They were the better side through the entire game. Frankfurt, considering they were against a side two tiers below them. And they're the European side. They're going to be in the Europa League this year, of course. One shot on target really isn't good enough. They were absolutely dreadful for the entire game. They did not deserve to go through. And well done to Waldhof Mannheim, who will be in the second round of the Pokal. Alversberg, two minds, two minds win on penalties. Why couldn't we beat Alversberg? We had to play them and we lost. Boo! Alversberg can complain though they did have a Stonewall penalty turned down in this game. They still took the lead though in the 73rd minute through Lucas Schnaubacher. And then looked like they were going to hold on, looked like they were going to go through. But in the 89th minute, Jonathan Burkhart equalised for Mines. They again took the lead, Alversberg. Again, Lucas Schnaubacher scoring in the 110th minute. He chips Robin Zentner in the goal. But again, Jonathan Burkhart responded in the 116th minute. And then Mines won 8-7 on penalties. Only one penalty out of 16 was missed. Carl Zeiss, Jena, 1, Köln, 1. Köln winning on penalties for the first game in charge, of course, to Stefan Baumgart, who joins Köln after leaving Paderborn in the summer. Jena open for scoring in the fifth minute through Maximilian Wolfram. What a name, by the way. Great volley inside the box. Shakiri got Köln level on the 69th minute, and then Köln went on to win 4-2 on penalties. Prussia Munster won Wolfsburg 3 Wolfsburg winning an extra time, though it doesn't matter. None of the game matters because, well, the thing is, Wolfsburg used six subs. And they were only allowed to use five. So, that's not great. Prussian Munster have lodged a formal complaint with the DFB. Their sports director said, quote, We stood up to a highly favoured Champions League team in an exciting and passionate cup game and with the support of our fans forced Wolfsburg into extra time. Our guests then directly influenced the game to their advantage with this illegal substitution, unquote. Managing director for Wolfsburg, quote, It's very annoying, but unfortunately it cannot be undone. They, unquote, they did say they weren't going to take action against Mark Van Bommel, obviously the new manager, his first game in charge of Wolfsburg. Would have gone better, to be honest. They said, quote, Wolfsburg has always been capitalised by solidarity and togetherness in the past, and that won't be any different this time. Despite all the anger and frustration, it's important not to get carried away, even if we briefly considered enrolling everyone involved in a basic reading course. After careful consideration, we refrained from doing so, unquote. So, yeah, not not great for, for Wolfsburg, and not great starts with Van Bommel reign, but 
I guess the only way is up, unless, of course, they lose 10-0 in their first game in the Bundesliga. By the way, Bremer's game against Bayern was called off this weekend due to COVID cases. That game is going to be played on the 25th of August, and the draw for the second round for DFB Pokal will be on the 29th, and I get to watch it with excitement because St. Pauli made it through somehow. Still don't know how, really. Okay, let's go on to Ligue 1 then. The start of the French season was this weekend, or at least the French season in Ligue 1. I don't know if Ligue 2 started earlier or not. I, I, I don't know. Anyway, the opening game of the season, Monaco won, Nantes won. Gaussen Martins scoring in the 14th minute for Monaco, but John Charles Castelletto scoring for Nantes in the 42nd minute. Monaco dominated pretty much all of this game. They didn't take enough of their chances though, only three shots on target. Nantes only had one shot on target and that one went in. They got punished for, for not being clinical enough up front and they start the season with a point. Nantes, obviously rough few years this point, hopefully pointing to better days though, I, I doubt it to, to be honest. Leon won, Brest won. Islam Slimani scoring for Lille after Ivan Cardona had given Brest the lead in the first half. Leon, a title contender last year, did not look very convincing against Brest, aside who very much weren't title contenders last year. And it's not a great start to them in the new league season. Let's go into the two games that really were interesting from Ligue 1 this weekend. And let's start with Mets 3, Lille 3. Lille obviously have had a lot of change this off-season, though they look to pick up where they left off. Sven Botman giving them the lead in the 23rd minute, but then everything sort of went horribly wrong. Fabian Canzone getting Mets level in the 31st minute, and Matthew Udol scoring in the 41st minute. Mets went into the half-time break with a 2-1 lead. Really bad defending as well from Lille for that second goal, and it was really bad defending as well after the start of the second half when Kensone got his second goal of the game in the 52nd minute. And it looked like Lille could genuinely be under real threat of losing down 3-1. But then they got a very lucky turn. Bubakar Kiate getting sent off in the 56th minute. It was a definite red card. Really, really ugly challenge. Lille did almost come back as well immediately because from the resulting free kick, they did put the ball in the net, but it was disallowed correctly for the offside. By the way, I watched the Ligue 1 highlights of this game on, on YouTube and the commentator said for an apparent offside, it wasn't an apparent offside, it just was an offside. It, it just was. It's just weird that he said it like that because like it was a definite offside and he said apparent, even though he could see it. Really odd. Lille got their first one back in the 81st minute from Ikone. And then Barakiomaz doing what Barakiomaz does best. He rescued the point for them in the 96th minute. Technically went down as a Ukija on goal. Oh, by the way, it was a 97th minute, actually. And, yeah, really, really bad defender, but who cares? It was a really good way to end the game. And, you know what? For how negative Lille fans would have felt in the 52nd minute, it's probably a good way for Lille to start their season. To be honest, I don't think they're going to be close to competing for the title this year because you may have heard that PSG have signed this Argentinian lad who's meant to be quite good. So, best of luck to them, though. They should definitely be trying to qualify for the Champions League once more. 
Final game to mention then from League 1, Montpellier 2, Marseille 3. This game had a bit of everything, didn't it? Montpellier went 2-0 up in the opening 34 minutes, two goals in four minutes. First one, Luan Perez own goal before Gaetan Laborda scored a fantastic hit straight, curling into the top corner from the edge of the box. Go and have a look at that if you can. It was phenomenal. Probably... Real contender for goal of the week. I would probably say it's the best goal I've seen this week off the top of my head. That or the Osnabrück halfway line one. But then again, the keeper was like nowhere near the net, so not that impressive. But it was impressive. I don't know, anyway. So they were 2 0 up after them, two goals in four minutes. But then Marseille in the second half got back into the game. Sanji's under scoring in the 68th minute. Then Payet finding a massive hole in the Montpellier wall to score from a free kick in the 75th minute. And then they round up their three goals in 12 minutes with a goal in the 80th minute. Again, Payet, somebody could have at least tried to close him down. It would have helped. No one did. And he got his second of the game, Marseille's third. And then it all went mental. The game was stopped after water bottles were thrown onto the pitch. According to Alikip as well, Valentin... Rongier had to go to the locker room after being hit in the mouth by one of the bottles when he celebrated the go-ahead goal. The fan involved, though, has been arrested, which is good to hear. But yeah, Marseille held on in the end after that. The game resumed. They held on for a 3-2 win, and it means they get off to a winning start. None of the teams mentioned are top of Ligue 1, though. That would be Clement Foot, who go to the top of the table. They beat Bordeaux 2-0 this weekend. Second place are Angers. They go into second because they beat Strasbourg 2-0. So those are the teams leading after one game in Ligue 1. Let's go into the big news story though regarding Ligue 1. Because Lionel Messi has signed for PSG. He's made it official now. He's going to be there for the next two years at least. And wow. It's still weird to see him in a shirt that isn't a Barca shirt. I find it incredibly weird. My big worry is how doomed is Ligue 1. And there have been, like, them 12-year-olds on Twitter going, Finally, Ligue 1 is relevant. Oh, shut up. Like, having Neymar and Mbappe isn't enough for you. But anyway, that's not what makes a league good. Like I said last year, Ligue 1 was probably my favourite top flight in Europe because it was really exciting. Very good title race. Very unpredictable. It feels like it's going to be less unpredictable this year because it feels like PSG are now just going to storm to the title quite comfortably no team can rival them and i don't think it's gonna be like last year where they keep tripping up i don't think messi will allow it so that's not great there will be people who watch psg just out of interest because obviously they want to see messi in a not barca shirt or they're intrigued to see messi in a not barca shirt but all in all for the league itself this probably isn't great i mean like these people who say, ooh, League 1 is finally interesting again. They're not the people who are watching Sonsetti and Lorient, I would guess, anyway. So this is not going to change that for them. They're not going to care about League 1. They're not going to be able to name four other teams in League 1. I worry about what this means for League 1 going forward. Obviously, it's great to be able to plaster Messi on your adverts and go, look, let's watch, watch League 1 because Lionel Messi plays here, but it's not going to really help for the rest of the league, and it's just going to make the league more predictable, so many more years of PSG dominance to come. And talking about Messi, his departure from Barcelona is, is proving to be 
very expensive. A recent report suggests that they could lose 137 million euros through Messi's departure. That's 17 million of match day revenue, 43 million in sales of shirts and merchandise, and 77 million in business revenue. This is really not good news for Barca in a time when they're already struggling with their finances. The fact that they've lost Messi, that cash cow, is really, really not good at all. And the future is even bleak for Barca now than it was before. This is the problem with like the people who said, oh, you know, they need to get rid of Messi because they just can't afford him anymore. They also kind of can't afford to not have him because he brought in so much money for that club. Like they said when the big Almunda report came out about how much he earns, it's like, yeah, but he makes more money for Barca than he actually takes out. I'm incredibly worried for Barcelona now. Their finances could go even further down the drain. Speaking of Barca, Samuel Titi was very upset. He was booed during a presentation and during a friendly game in the last week. He went straight to the locker room after the game. He wasn't in the group picture when the Gamper trophy was awarded. It was in the Gamper Cup thing. It's like a pre-season friendly competition that nobody outside of the clubs should be caring about at all. But yeah... Not all is great in Barcelona at the moment. Also, uh, I believe Antoine Griezmann was heavily booed going into training because the Barca fans view all this as his fault, which is slightly harsh. But also, you know, he doesn't exactly try to warm himself to Barca fans either. So it's not like he's entirely innocent through all this. Not, not a great club to be at at the moment. It seems like, and I don't think it's going to get significantly better anytime soon. By the way, I do think we should probably praise Kuman a lot more because how he actually goes through all of this is beyond me. I don't know. I don't know how he manages, but he's survived all of this wild stuff that Barcelona have been going through recently, and you know it's still just there managing. So well done to him. According to Samuel Luckhurst, the Premier League handbook says that nine substitutions will be permitted in matchday squads. So that's an increase from seven. There will only be three substitutes available, though, in a game. It really does benefit the big clubs more than it does anyone else. I don't like it. I don't like the fact that, you know, this is just designed to appeal to your Chelsea's and Man City who can afford to have world-class players on the bench, whilst everyone else has to struggle more. It, it's not good. It, it's really just designed there to appeal to the big teams. And I don't like it. Especially when them big teams were, you know, trying to kill football earlier this year. I don't care if they changed their minds. They still tried. That's not okay. Moving on then to the weekend watchers. I will suggest my favourite games from this weekend. And of course, got to start with my game of the weekend. Which is going to be the Friday night kickoff between St. Pauli and Hamburger. Both sides enter this game having played two games in this Friday Bundesliga season so far. Both sides having got four points. Three of them from very convincing victories and the other one from uh, really unconvincing draws. So this is obviously going to be a big momentum setter for both of these sides this season. I would say Hamburg probably need it more because obviously they're meant to be like going up again. St. Pauli, though, if they can win, and they've had a decent record against Hamburg recently, will be feeling more than confident about their chances of further improving on where they were last year. And that can only really be the aim for this season. So, yeah, 5.30 kickoff this Friday. I don't know where you can find it because Sky is just saying nothing about this fight to Bundesliga. 
Thanks, lads. But yeah, definitely, without a doubt, my game of the weekend. I was obviously hoping that I'd be able to ask Alex Towles about what his Premier League game of the weekend is, but I'm going to go with the Friday night kickoff between Brentford and Arsenal. Obviously, this kicks off later on at 8 o'clock. And yeah, Brentford in the Premier League for the first time. First time in the top flight since 1947. So it's been a long time coming for them. And really exciting side. Played great football in the Championship under Thomas Frank. We've got Ivan Tony coming up. That's going to be great to see and yeah they've got a tough test for their first game of season hosting Mikel Arteta's Arsenal side should be a really interesting watch two sides who like to play football in an entertaining style I think I didn't really watch Arsenal last year so maybe they do but yeah hopefully it should be a really good game Friday eight o'clock straight after St Pauli Hamburg finishes which is which is good so Championship game of the weekend. I'm going to go with West Brom against Luton. Peterborough Derby, by the way, is a 12.30 kickoff on Saturday. That's on TV, so that's good. West Brom Luton isn't, but I am kind of more interested in the West Brom Luton game anyway because obviously Valerian Ismail and Valbol, first game at home, and they get to take on Nathan Jones's Luton side. Both sides start the season off quite well. West Brom getting a draw against Bournemouth. Luton beating Peterborough 3-0 to top the championship. Actually, no, the whole top of the championship. I read it out earlier in the podcast, and I've already forgotten. But, yeah, should be two sides who play really good football and should hopefully, lead, therefore, lead to an exciting game. League One, I'm going for South Yorkshire Derby. Sheffield Wednesday against Doncaster Rovers. Neither side started off the season convincingly. Sheffield Wednesday drawing 0-0 with Charlton in a very, very dull match. Doncaster Rovers not being able to defend at all in a game at home against AFC Wimbledon. So both sides need a good start to the season and beating a South Yorkshire rival would really help. And of course, Darren Moore returning to face his old club. League 2, I'm going for Mansfield-Newport. Both sides expect to do well in the league this year. I don't really have any other notes on that game. Bundesliga, I'm going to go for Borussia Dortmund against Eintracht Frankfurt. Two managers taking charge of their side in the league for the first time. Marco Rosa, the new man of the home at Borussia Dortmund, who, by the way, beat Behen 3-0 in the Pokal. Oliver Glasner, who just needs a, a better game, to be honest. That would help. Two sides who expect to be near the top of the table come the end of the year. Frankfurt will be hoping to build on last year's Europa League finish as in they finished in the Europa League places. Dortmund, meanwhile, maybe the best challenges to Bayern Munich. My Bundesliga preview, by the way, is up on the Sports Blitz, if you want to give that a read. So two sides who should be playing well, who should be climbing up the table this year, should be a great game. That is a 5.30 kickoff on Saturday. La Liga, I'm going to go for Sevilla against Rio Vallecano. Rio Vallecano are back in La Liga and Boy, does it feel good. I am so excited to watch them and they get a great opening day fixture. Travelling to the Ramon Sanchez-Piguan to play Sevilla. Julian Lopetegui's side finished fourth last year. Therefore, playing Champions League football this time around. And it's a very similar squad. They should be doing as well this time out. So, a real test for Vallecano. Best of luck to them. That is on Sunday. Ligue 1, I'm going to go for Marseille against Bordeaux because Marseille should be 
really good this year and Bordeaux will offer them a reasonable challenge. Serie A, I'm going to go for Napoli against Venezia. Venezia, a newly promoted side. From the city of Venice, what more could you possibly want? Napoli, ho obviously hoping to be in the upper echelons of the league come the end of the year. Anyway... That is all the time we have on the Beautiful Game podcast today. My thanks go to Alex Towles for coming on earlier. We will be back next week to talk about all of the top leagues once again and talk about the Championship and the Zweiter Bundesliga and if St. Pauli did well and cry if they didn't. We hope to see you then, but until then, goodbye. <laughs>